Okay. Oh, that's good. Decent bit of volume. Can everyone hear me all right? Yes, good to go. <laughs> okay, do keep coming in. You're all very welcome. Uh, so my name's Adrian, and I lead the community church, and we have two sites, one in Sidmouth and one in Honiton. And um, Will and Caroline and the family have been members of the church for some years. Uh, Josh is now in a different location. I guess you'll introduce yourselves. We'll hear you in a minute. Okay. And um, I've got, oh, my wife and I, we have three children and two dogs and one granddaughter. That was the wrong order. I realize as I said that, that was the wrong order to mention the granddaughter. But anyway, so we have three children and a granddaughter and two dogs. And uh, the Bible tells us, obviously, that children are a huge blessing uh, from the Lord. And, and my experience is that that is true, uh, but they are also the source of the greatest pain. And I guess that's true of anyone who uh, we love closely. Um, then obviously they can bring huge delight and joy. And, uh, and so the parenting relationship uh, is, is difficult. And, uh, and obviously uh, we have all been children and probably at times uh, caused pain to our parents, uh, me at least as much as anyone else. And uh, so uh, Will and Josh's story is, is a powerful story. So they're going to, through music and song, tell their story and the story of the prodigal son uh, at the same time. And so uh, I'd just like us to pray. And uh, we want God to, to kind of touch us as well. Perhaps your children are walking closely with God. Perhaps they're not. Um, and we've heard, I've heard this uh, story before, but it's just really powerful. And so let's just pray. And, uh, and then I'll hand over to the guys. <coughs> Father, we thank you that you are a God of grace and goodness and kindness, that uh, though we were not seeking you, you came to seek and to save us. And for that, we are forever grateful. And so we pray this afternoon uh, that you would just speak to us and touch our hearts again, that as we hear uh, this story, uh, that we would reflect again on your grace towards us. And I pray for also parents whose children are not walking closely with you, that, God, we would have uh, renewed faith and confidence, Lord, that you complete what you have begun. And uh, so renew our faith and our passion in prayer uh, through this the testimony this afternoon, we pray. Amen. So I think Josh is starting. Is that right? You should all have a leaflet on your chair, by the way. Pick up. There's loads more as well. So we'll tell you a bit more about those later. Hi, I'm Josh, I'm 24, I'm from Bedford, that's my beautiful wife, Amy, and she's going to uh, sing lovely with me this afternoon. So we're going to start by singing this song, it's called Welcome Home. We wrote this song as kind of a, a summary of what we're going to share with you today, but we're just going to sing the song. So just let it minister to you wherever you are right now. Turn the wrong way for answers 
to the lies of the enemy he thought he could destroy me living in my brokenness blind to his mercy now i can see my father his loving arms surround me no power of hell can stop me he reigns in glory gave in to the lies of the enemy he thought he could destroy me Living in my brokenness, blind to his mercy. Now I can see my father, his loving arms surround me. No power of hell can stop me, he reigns in glory. Sorry, Amy, I messed up a couple of lyrics there. Wrong order. So thanks, guys, for coming out this afternoon. Like, I really appreciate it. And I really hope that you're going to go away this afternoon um, carrying something to your churches and to your families, to the prodigals, to the parents. This is, this is for you. So I'm really glad that you came this afternoon. We're just going to share, really, my testimony in kind of parallel with the story Jesus told in Luke chapter 15, which was about the prodigal son. And, uh, yeah, I, um, I grew up in a Christian home. Um, some of my family here today. So that's thanks for coming, family. And uh, my dad was the pastor of the church for 25 years, and I always grew up hearing about God each week, always heard the sermons, listening to it or not listening, like kind of, kind of taking it in. And um, I went to a Christian school as well at the same time as a Christian school. So I was in quite a lot of Christian circles. 
um, and that was quite familiar to me. Um, at a young age, I did give my life to Jesus. I couldn't exactly tell you that moment, but there were many times in my life where there was interventions, and I know that I, I gave my life to Jesus. I'm sure I put my hand up at Soul Survivor about 10 times. So, um, yeah, I met Jesus at a very young age. Um, and God was using me in the church, and at a young age, I was a worship leader, about 15 years old. I was, I was a worship leader in the church, and, um, yeah, I was, I was living for him, and I, I wanted to live full out for him, really. Um, but things started to change. When I was about 17 years old, my family moved away to Devon, and me and my brother were finishing off our college courses um, in back in Birmingham. So we were just finishing our courses. I was doing a food catering course at that time and um, I started to hang out with different kinds of people and people who were, were worldly, who who drunk, who did that kind of stuff and for me that was something I'd never come across before. I was, As I said to you, I was very much in, in kind of these circles of Christian youth groups, all this kind of stuff and I didn't realise there was anything outside of that. So, you know, people would say, oh, do you want to have a drink, Josh? And I was like, I was like, or, or do you want to have a drink? I was like, I've never drunk before. And they were like laughing at me. I was like 17 and I hadn't drunk. But that was very normal for a lot of these people that I was hanging around with. That was their lifestyle. That was how they were brought up. So anyway, I, um, I stopped going to church. I'd been, as I said to you, I, I did become a Christian at a young age. I'd started going to the church. And um, I just decided to leave that stuff behind. My family moved to Devon. I thought, do you know what? I'm just going to start seeing this stuff. This stuff seems good. The drink seems good. Um, so something that I wasn't involved in at all, the peer pressure got to me, and I just started drinking and thought that was cool, thought that was fun. But then it was like more than that, because it was like that wasn't really enough. So like people would say, oh, why don't you come to the bookies, Josh, like after college, why don't you come down, put a couple of bets down on the football accumulator. It's only 50p. It's not going to cause any harm, really. So that's what I did. I went in every most lunchtimes. I'd go in and I'd just put some bets down. And that felt good. And when you win, it's an amazing buzz. It's like, oh, that's good. I need to kind of have some more of that. So you put more money down. But this wasn't really doing anything good for me. These things weren't really doing anything good for me. But I wasn't really aware of that. I was looking for that rush. I was looking for that high. And I thought this stuff was going to fulfill that. And, um, yeah, basically my, my drinking and stuff like that just increased. Um, and my gambling, I was, I was actually in bookies from one day a week to seven days a week, and I was starting to get addicted. Addiction definitely seven days a week. And um, it wasn't just bookies. I was going into casinos. I would drive 45 minutes quite happily just to go to a casino and just go and spend loads of money, putting money down on my phone, doing bets wherever I could. But very much in the secret, a lot of this stuff, because I didn't really want people to know this kind of addiction that I had. It was starting to take control of my life. And... Um, just things even like, not just drinking, not just the gambling. Like I just put on random house parties, like the family had gone away. Like, or just a hundred people came to the house once. Just like, just come over, let's have a massive party. And that was not a great experience. And lots of things got robbed. And I was just living in this brokenness, messing girls around, all this kind of stuff. But there was no fulfillment in it. And um, it's like. When I, was, when I finished my college course, I scraped through with 40% attendance. And because I was just so distracted, I was so, so much um, involved with all this worldly stuff. I just didn't really want to go to college. I was just having more fun. Like I just missed classes just to go to the casino, just to go and put money down, just to try and win money. Spending hundreds of pounds, thousands of pounds. Obviously, I'm, I haven't got that money. That's got to come from somewhere. 
So I was stealing money from my family. I was stealing money from my friends. I was stealing money from all people around me just to fulfill this hole, to fulfill this addiction that I had in my life. And about 18, 18 or 19 years old, I moved to Devon where my family was. They probably had some kind of idea what was going on in my life, but they didn't know everything that was going on. A lot of this was a secret. And um, when I was in Devon, I, um, I got a job in a restaurant, actually a really high up restaurant, and was working really hard um, alongside having all these secret addictions that people didn't know about. And there was lots of job opportunities coming with that, and um, there was opportunities to move to London and, and China with all this kind of stuff going on with what I was doing. But I realized that the drink and the, the, um, the gambling wasn't enough. So it was like, I need to fill this hole with something else. So I started to do drugs as well. And I thought that stuff was going to fulfill me. And I was spending 90 pounds, 90 pounds a gram on cocaine to try and fill this hole. But just realizing that I actually was, I was coming back to this empty place. I didn't, I didn't realize what that was at that time, actually. But I just felt very dead inside. I felt it quite suicidal, actually, when I came, came down from that high. I just didn't really want to be around. So the only way of me um, trying to help myself was by doing more drugs, was by doing more gambling, was by doing more drink, all that kind of stuff. just wasn't good. Um, and at the age of, well, about, about three years ago, three, three years ago now, three and a half years ago now, had this really, really bad car crash. And I was driving back from work and it was really fortunate that I hadn't been drinking, hadn't done drugs, because that was my lifestyle. That's what I was doing every day. Like even at work, I was doing it, working behind the bar. I would, I'd happily just drink cocktails through, through doing my work shift. Would happily go around into a secret room and just have a drink or just do a line, just to keep me going. My life was just in absolute bits. And um, as I was saying, yeah, I was driving back from work one night and thankfully I hadn't done anything, hadn't done any of that stuff. And I was a reckless driver and I hit this bend, this country lane. I was driving through the countryside of Devon and I hit this bend. And actually the bend's called Dead Man's Corner because a lot of young lads had actually, actually hit this corner and died. So it's quite a familiar thing if you heard from the youths around that area. It was called Dead Man's Corner. And um, I hit this bend at 60 miles an hour and my car started rolling down this hill. And it was the first time I'd shouted out in a few years. I said, God save me. I didn't know what that meant at that time. I didn't know what that was going to do. But it's like when you've got friends who are in hospital, let's think of people who aren't Christians in this place. When people go into hospital, people are dying. They say, oh God, they say a little prayer, don't they? In desperation, is God going to save this person? Is God going to heal my, my nan or whatever it might be? For me, I had something inside of me that shouted, God save me. You've got to save me. And I tell you now, this is the scariest thing that's ever happened to me in my life, apart from my conversion. <laughs> and um, it was just, I hit, hit the bend and my car started rolling down this hill and I said, God save me. And I came to the bottom of this hill and I was literally probably about, my car was upside down in this ditch. I was about probably here to this pole here. This is a metal pole. And my car's upside down. I haven't got photos here today. I usually show some, some photos and stuff, but it was an absolute mess. The whole car was absolutely battered. And the pit where I was sitting was just protected. I was upside down in this ditch. And I just just sat there for a moment. I was so shook about, you know, I was touching myself. Like, am I still alive? Like, it was just crazy 
and uh, I got out of the car and someone grabbed, like some people came along the road, I put my arm out and I was just bleeding, I had glass all in my head and um, I got taken to hospital that night and the police came, they breathalyzed me and um, I was really, really blessed actually that I hadn't been doing that s any of that stuff. So it was just an ambulance job. Got to hospital, that night they just took all the glass out of me and I'm just left with a little scar on my hand. But God is so good. He saved me in that moment. You know, and that cry, God definitely heard me. But it didn't change my life. But it was one of those moments where God was, you know, trying to say to me, Josh, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? But I didn't change. A couple of weeks later, yeah, I didn't drive a car for two weeks. But a couple of weeks later, I was back on the road. I was drink driving. I was driving 100 miles an hour around, just off my face, not caring, just thinking this was the way forward. But it wasn't. And my life was still bad. I was stealing money from my closest friends to me. I was stealing money from the workplace. I was put in a high position at work, but they didn't realise what I was doing and everyone went home. And I was robbing tips. I was robbing thousands of pounds and straight after I go to the bookies. No one knew. But I had this life which was just so broken and just in so much need of something more. But I didn't realise what it was at this time. And it was just mad. And I remember actually the police came into my workplace because after a period of time, there's a load of money going missing. Who's taking it? The police came, they did handprints, all this kind of stuff, and you know, there's a lot of people's hands on this box where he kept the money safe, so they couldn't pin down who it was. But I knew myself it was me. I knew I was a person. But I didn't get caught. And <sighs> it's just mad, really. It's just kind of like a glimpse of what was going on in my life. And um, yeah, I, had I got into loads of loads of unhelpful um, relationships with people and stuff, relationships with, with friends and stuff, which was just really not good. I got into a relationship with a girl who's the mother of my son, and um, it was just, it was not good. I was just oppressed. I was around all this demonic influence, and the enemy was having a right laugh, to be honest. He was having a right laugh and thought that it was all good. So becoming a dad very young was really, really difficult as well, and it's like, all this stuff going on, so it adds more pressure as well. You feel more pressure on yourself. You're like, I'm 19, 20-year-old dad, and I've got all this stuff in my life. Like, how can I be free from this stuff? And I didn't really want to be around, so you, all I do is just carry on taking this stuff, thinking that this stuff was going to make me feel better. Anyway, um, so about a year later from my car crash, well, about eight or nine months from my car crash, I went to this really wild house party, and um, my dad had been saying to me, my dad, ever since I walked away from the Lord, my dad would send me Bible verses every day, every single day, Bible verses. And I got really peed off of it, to be honest. I was like, can you just leave me alone? I don't want Bible verses, you, you know, you don't, I don't want you to speak to me. Like, I wouldn't even go rally around and see my family. Like, I was just, it was, it was just so ashamed. Like, I knew that what I had, I didn't want to be around them. I didn't, I didn't want to be around family and stuff. Like, I just wanted to be on myself. I wanted to carry on having my lifestyle, carry on feeding my soul with all this stuff. And it just was not good. And um, in the end, I said to my dad, just stop texting me Bible verses, please. I've had enough. And, you know, I can, looking back on that now and thinking now, like, the amount of hurt that must have caused my dad, like, you know, I'm a family with all the stuff I was doing. Like, denying things. They're putting locks on the doors because I'm robbing stuff from the house. Like, it's just... It's just a mess. And I remember, like, this house party. And um, 
my brother and my dad had said to me, Josh, you need to come to this conference, this conference called Life in the Spirit. I was thinking you're having a right laugh if you're getting me there. And they said, you need to come to this conference. And they kept badging on at me, come to this conference, come to this conference, come to this conference. And um, anyway, God has a real, real sense of humor. And he had been unsettling me actually around Christmas time. I went around to see my family at Christmas time. And um, I knew God was doing something. And I remember they gave me a Godfrey, B- I don't know if anyone's ever heard of Godfrey Bertel in this place. Yeah, that one person over there, two, three. Uh, Godfrey Bertel, like, is such a prophetic guy. And I, I got this CD, and I remember putting it on my car, actually, and just feeling something when it was on. Like, they gave me it at Christmas time. Probably thought I was going to chuck it away or even sell it, probably. But I did remember listening to that, and it was doing, doing something in my life. Um, so God was unsettling me at this Christmas two months before this conference. And I've been like, no, I'm not going to this conference. I'm not going. There's not a chance that I'm going to go there. And um, I went to this house party. As I said, this guy came up from Birmingham and I was in this place. Has anyone ever heard of Bridport? Yeah, so Bridport was like where I was hanging out a lot of the time. I was spending a lot of my time there. It's a really, really dark place spiritually, Bridport. And I feel like the enemy was just having a right laugh at me there and just really taking advantage of all these addictions and stuff that I had. But anyway, this guy came up for this weekend and um, basically he um, had loads of pills, he had loads of drugs and he had 20 grand's worth of cocaine on him. And he said to me, can you drive me to Birmingham? I need to drop these drugs off. Now for me, that was fantastic. It was like, well, he's going to give me 150 quid out of it. I'm probably going to get a couple of lines out of it as well. So I'm going to do it. I'm going to risk my addiction. You know, I, I, I will do anything to risk my addiction. I didn't care. I wouldn't thought the consequences, oh, if I get caught, I'm going to be in prison for years. I didn't think that stuff. I just needed to feel what was here, feel this addiction, feel this thing, this longing, this thing that I had in my heart was like, I need more of that, I need more of that. Yep, I'll do that, 150 quid, happy days. So I drove this guy up to Birmingham, and we came back to, uh, after that night, I didn't get caught. We came back to Devon because he had to come back. And this was the day before the conference my brother and my dad had invited me to go to, which was in Derby, which is just a bit further on from, Dar- um, from Birmingham. And there was something that, it was definitely God, you know, this guy wanted me to drop more drugs off in Birmingham. So I went home and I grabbed a bag of clothes and I thought, I'll oh, just, you know, I'll go. But not realising or thinking what that was going to do, I just thought, oh, I'll just go along. So God was really moving me to take me there. But I thought, if I don't like it, at least I can come away. I'm driving. I'll come away from this place. But God has spoken to my brother Joe, who's here. And God said to him, you need to block his car in. I got to his house in Birmingham, dropped this drug dealer off. Never saw him ever again. Didn't get caught by the police. Hallelujah. Got to my brother, and he blocked my car in. So God was already a step ahead of me. And... We drove to this conference, and I'm sweating. I mean, I'm absolutely sweating in the car. The Lord's obviously doing something here. He's, he's got his hand all over my life in this moment. And um, I just remember pulling the windows down and smoking a whole pack of 20 cigarettes in about an hour. And I was just absolutely stressing out. And I saw a pub just as we come up, just come up the road into this, this conference. I saw a pub. I thought, oh, that would be a good place. So at least I can go to that if it doesn't, you know, if it's not good. Anyway, I arrived here. And I just walked into the room, and I just saw these people just, like, looking at me. Or I thought they were looking at me. But they had something that I didn't have. They had peace that I didn't have. Like, I didn't put my finger on it at that time. I found it quite intimidating, actually, probably because I was dealing with a lot of paranoia as well from the drugs of all the stuff. 
But these people had something that I didn't have. And it was really strange. Like, as I said, I felt very intimidated, but it wasn't. They They had the Holy Spirit. They had Jesus living in their lives. And I knew I didn't have that place. So actually, I was the person who was in this bad place. That's why I couldn't cope with it. But anyway, the first meeting came up. And I just stood at the back. And I just absolutely just broke down in tears. Like, you know, my dad came over. This is a blessing for my dad as well. God has a real amazing, you know, God is so amazing. To bring my dad to the conference where God changed my life is phenomenal. My mom and dad praying for years about my life to be changed. And my dad just laid his hand on my shoulder. He didn't say anything. He just laid his hand on my shoulder. And I just remember crying more. Just letting out all this emotion, all this hurt. And uh, anyway, it came to the dinner time. I was like, oh, I'm glad that's finished. I can't do any more of that. My brother said, oh, there's another conference. There's, an- there's another meeting. I was like, oh, no. So anyway, I went in. But there was something that was drawing me. There was something that was drawing me into this meeting. I didn't want to go to the pub. There was something I was sensing that I needed to get it. I needed to have this. And um, this guy called Bernard Thompson stood up at the front. And, you know, I can't exactly remember every single thing he was speaking on, but God was speaking to me. And there was a verse from Acts 3.19 that says, repent of all your sins. And there was a time for response. Come forward if you want prayer. Come forward if you want prayer for anything in your life or whatever it was. I can't exactly remember the thing, but I knew this was for me. And I said to God, I I tried to make a deal with God, which is not a clever idea. You shouldn't make deals with God. I said, if you really are who you say you are, you have to get rid of the addictions in my life. And don't get me wrong, I had tried gambling anonymous. I had tried all these different different things. I tried to read a book about how to stop smoking. I'd done all this stuff. I tried to ban myself from bookies. I'd been banned from places purposely because I didn't want to go there, but I couldn't even stop it. But I said to God, if you really are who you say you are, you have to get rid of these addictions in my life. If you really want me to believe in this stuff, if you really want me to come back to this stuff that I walked away from, you have to prove it to me. And you know, when you take a small step, God meets you there. When you take a small step of faith, God will meet you. And he did. He blew me away. I went to the front. I just broke down. And I had tears. I was having deliverance. All this stuff that was just going on, God just changed me. From just taking that moment, from taking that step out in faith, he changed my life in that moment. You know, it's Holy Spirit. And it was the best thing that I'd ever felt in my life. And I, I don't get me wrong. I haven't told you everything. Like the drugs that I was doing. You know, I, I, I even smoked heroin in my life. And I remember coming around to my, my sister Abby's house on the weekend. And I was like almost dead. I could hardly climb up the stairs. Like, you know, the stuff that I had tried, all these different highs, all these different things, nothing compared to Jesus, nothing compared to his Holy Spirit. I'm sure many people in this place, you've all got your own story. You know what that is for yourselves, how God met you and changed your life. But he met me dramatically in that moment. And I keep to my word, I've got an addictive personality. So I thought, okay, okay, Lord. He's going to get rid of my addictions now. And he has. I've been clean from drugs, from drink, from gambling, from alcohol for about two and a half years now. You know, that's all good to God. Yeah, give grand applause to God. That's not about me. Yes, there is times. Consider it pure joy when you overcome trials and temptations. Yeah, it is a daily thing saying, no, I'm not having that. Jesus is better. We have to take that choice. But the Holy Spirit changes us. He changes our lives. He really does change our lives. And I remember in that week... I remember when I was there at that conference, there was another talk by someone called Sam Ward. Some of you might have heard him from the Message Trust. And he said something, and it was like, someone needs to move from where they are. And that spoke really strongly to me. And I knew I had to get away from where I was. 
very difficult with this, the things that I was in. But I made a deal with God. I said, if you get rid of all the things in my life, I'm going to live for you. He stuck to his word, so it's about time that I stuck to mine. And that was it. You know, the next week, I was actually given a job opportunity to go and work in London and a job opportunity to go and work in Hong Kong. The next week, God's timing is perfect. His timing really is perfect. That would have, I'd have probably died. You know, I'm th- and I'm not exaggerating about that. The lifestyle that I was living, I would have died probably within a year. God changes lives. And I remember um, seeing this guy, this random guy at this conference, and I just babbled out all this stuff, just let out all this stuff about my life, all this stuff that had been going on in my life. And he said, come and live with me. I didn't know who he was, but I thought, okay. So that was it. I got back home. I rang my boss. I said, I'm, going, I'm, I'm moving now. Jesus has changed my life. He's like, you what? like, yeah, he's changed my life. And he couldn't believe it. You know, the things that I was leaving behind, this job career, you know, really working high up with, with restaurants, all this kind of stuff, I was leaving that behind. Because when you say you're going to live for Jesus, when you say you're going to live wholeheartedly for Jesus, that stuff doesn't matter. You leave that stuff behind. You leave all those, um, the ambitions, all that stuff that you want, because Jesus is greater. And I moved to Bedford. And um, when I got there, uh, it was quite difficult to get there, actually. The enemy really tried to stop me from going there, but I did get there. And God just started to really change my life um, in everything, and not just with addictions, with the instant stuff. It's been a gradual thing as well. Anger, you know, all this kind of stuff, hatred, um, loads of different things inside my, inside my life, and things I still have to struggle with, anxiety and fears and worries, but Jesus is there for it all, you know. He's there for it all, and he is, he is so good, and he is my rock. And Jesus really just began to change my life so much. And, you know, this is why we're doing Welcome Home as well, because we believe that this isn't just for me. This is not just about my life that's been changed. There's people out there. You know them for yourselves. You know prodigals. You even probably know, even maybe some people in here, your parents who've wandered, actually, and they've wandered away from God. But this is the time. This is the time for people to come back to Jesus. And um, it's never too late. Never write, never write God off. Never say, oh, I'm going to stop praying. Your prayers count. There is something happening in the spiritual realm when you pray. You know, there is things happening, and it's a spiritual battle, but we have to pray. And, um, yeah, Jesus began to lay my life. Uh, Jesus began to change my life. And I remember when I drove to Devon, I even had to pull over because the Holy Spirit convicted me that to pay my friend back who had robbed money from. He'd been accusing me for months that I'd take it. I knew I had, but I was lying. But the Holy Spirit was just beginning to change things in my life, that things that I just... Just unbelievable. And um, got to Bedford. And when you lay things down, when you surrender things to Jesus, he gives them back. It says in, um, it, you, you've heard about double portions. You've heard about surrendering things before Jesus and then giving us things back. And, and it's so true. And it's, it's true of that passage, isn't it, in Joel 2 about the locusts, what the locusts have eaten. And the Lord wants to, wants to pour out his blessings on us. He's not a stingy God. He doesn't want to just, oh, have a little trickle. No, he wants to pour blessings out. But we have to be taken to that place sometimes, taken in that wilderness, to surrender it all and say, here you are, have it all. Have it all. Watch what I can do with five loaves and two fish. Watch what I can do. That's what God would say to us today. Watch what I can do. And, um, yeah, when I got to Bedford, after laying those things down, the girls, all this kind of stuff, you know, God started to bless me in my life. Like, the guy I was living with, he would he'd bless me, he'd take me out for lunch. Oh, I'll pay for that. What? You know, that was just not normal for me with the people I was around. But God blesses us. He really does bless us. And the things that we've, we mess up with, the things that we go astray with, the things that we go and chase, God changes us and says, look, I'll give you this. 
You know, I want to give you a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. I want to change your life. And he does. He humbles us. He changes our lives. And, um, you know, Amy and I just got married four months, four months ago. We got together sh- literally straight after I moved to Bedford. And God just restores things. He restores things in our lives. He restored things in my life. Um, I don't think I'm going to say too much else for now, actually, because, oh, actually, one more thing. Um, I'm going to read this verse, actually, and then we're going to sing another song we've wrote called Deep Waters, which I'll explain about in a moment. Um, but this verse in Joel 2, 13 says, Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. You know, receive that today. Receive that today. I actually had a picture when I came in, before I came in here today, of, um, of doves just sitting on everyone's head in this place today. Just receive his peace here today. Just receive the shalom peace of God. I believe he wants to meet with you right now where you are. Just receive from him. And the, uh, the verses that I'm just going to read. Sorry, I just need to get my Bible. These are some verses that Amy sent to me uh, one of the days, and uh, it's just these verses just really did something in my in my heart. So I just want to read them out, and we made a song from this called "Deep Waters," which we're going to sing to you in just a moment. Just receive these for yourself right now as well. Psalm 18, verses 16. He rescued down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. He delights in you. He delights in every single person here today. I think I need to read those verses again. He rescued down from heaven and rescued me. Sorry, he reached down from heaven and rescued me. Just receive this for yourself as well. Just think about that moment, that encounter where Jesus changed your life. Just close your eyes just for a moment. He reached down from heaven and rescued me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemies, from those who hated me and were too strong for me. They attacked me at a moment when I was in distress, but the Lord supported me. He led me to a place of safety. He rescued me because he delights in me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We receive your love, Lord, right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you've led every single person in this place to safety. And Lord, thank you that even as sometimes we feel that our boat is filling with water, Lord, that you are here. You are there in the storm. No matter what is thrown at us in life, Lord, you are our safety. Help us to remember that, Lord. Help us to remember that you are the rock. Lord, that rock is not going to move. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Let's sing this song, Deep Waters.
is raging and I fall in despair and I hear you call my name I'm lost in defeat but your love carries me you've given me victory you rescue me from deep deep waters rising up breaking free you rescue me from deep deep waters darkness slain victory when the battle is raging and I fall in despair in defeat but your love carries me you've given me victory you've given me victory you rescue me from deep deep waters rising up breaking free Rescue me from deep, deep waters, darkness lay victory, darkness lay victory, darkness lay victory. Thank you. I'm just going to hand over to my dad now, so don't go anywhere. This bit's just as important. Okay, I always say Josh leaves me just a little bit of time um, and usually pinches my notes, but yeah, anyway. Good, right. Well, I have a privilege um, in this story and um, to be on the front line seat, the front row because I'm dad to Josh. And um, I just want to talk a little bit about two things. One is about fathering prodigals. Um, some of you may relate to that. And if you do, I want to really inspire and encourage you. And the other thing is to say something about um, God's blessing for prodigals as well. Um, but we'll come to that in a moment. So um, I, s I suppose we travel a lot, Josh and I, and we travel as a, as a father and son act kind of double act, so I'm part two. Um, but I get to stand alongside Josh um, and hear the story, and it is a tremendous platform to share the gospel from. And if you couldn't preach the gospel from this story, I don't know what you would need to preach it from, because this is just, this is God doing it right here and right now um, in our day and our, and our generation. And of course, it's, it's an illustration, as you know, of, of Luke 15. You'll all know the story of the prodigal son. And um, it's such a deep and powerful picture of, of how much God loves each one of us. And I always say every time that we should all be able to relate to what Josh has shared because we are all, in different ways, prodigals, aren't we? We may not have been where Josh has been, or we may have been some of us, um, but we all know what it is to be in distant countries, be far off from God, be trying to shut God out, 
and yet God having his way in the end in rescuing us. So we understand. Uh, and we also understand, many of us, what it means to, to father or parent prodigal children and the pain that that brings. Uh, and, and I've got a number of lessons with you, well, three lessons from this story in Luke 15, which you might like to go home and read. I'll read bits of it as I go along. But I just want to share some of the lessons that Caroline and I have learnt in this journey just for a few minutes before we give you the opportunity to respond and we pray together. We, we love to pray with people, for people, and stand with you um, for your prodigal. So the first lesson of the story, um, as you know it, um, in Luke 15, is that the father has to be a wise father and learn to let go. Doesn't he? That, uh, to me, uh, every time I read this story, it, 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 the natural instinct of a father, if you're like me, is not to let go. It's to protect, it's to prevent disaster, it's to help children somehow make the best choices so they don't wreck their lives. But the father in this story has a deeper and a greater wisdom. So when the younger one says to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate, the father says, okay, and divides the property between them. And not longer after that, the younger son gets together all that he has, sets off for his distant country, and there he squanders everything that his father's given him. And I really struggle with that because I don't want to give to my children the things that they will squander and I had to learn in this to let go. Uh, and I suppose you can relate to the story, some of you, um, that fathering a prodigal brings immense pain. And so the first lesson is the pain that lets go is what we have to learn as parents. And um, it's a bit like, uh, in me, for me in this story, it, it, it was like learning how to be like God. It's learning the father's heart, really. Um, I suppose I always thought I got a father's heart. But when you father a prodigal, you learn some deeper things about the father's heart. You learn that there's a pain involved. And in this story, the father sees everything that's going to happen and still lets the son go. And so for me, it was, I knew Josh is making bad choices. I knew he's making the wrong friends. I know the relationships are not good. I know the lifestyle is not going to lead to blessing. But I have to somehow learn to be like God and learn how to let go. That doesn't mean that you wash your hands of the situation. It isn't that. It isn't letting go in that kind of way. It's not that you wash your hands and, and ignore it. It's actually a pain which suffers every move and every breath and every mistake, actually. It, it is a real deep pain that I'm sure some of you in this room can feel. But you somehow have to learn to trust God that the end will be better than the beginning. You really do have to get that to that place. Um, as we've gone around with this story, I met, uh, and it was sad really, I, I met a man who came to us at the end of the meeting that we'd, we'd held, and he said this, I don't know what you'd say to him, he said, you know what, the pain for my kids is so great that I can't pray for my kids anymore. And, and I could relate to that, because they do come to a place where it, it is painful even to pray. Um, but I, I tried to encourage him and said, well, you must pray. It's all you've got left to do, actually. I, in fact, the first thing that you can do and the last thing you can do, but, but it is so painful. So I, I'm not minimizing the pain of, uh, that some of you feel. Um, and in this, you will relate to this. You, you have to grapple with grace and truth all the way through this. You have to show lots of grace and show lots of Jesus. Don't let pain harden your heart. Don't build walls around you to protect yourself. Somehow you've got to learn to embrace the pain, haven't you? And that's, that's not easy to do. You've got to keep the channels open. You want to make it so easy for Josh to come back home. You want to bless him. You want him to trust God. 
But at the same time, you've got to have a bit of truth in there as well. Jesus was full of grace and truth, wasn't he? You have to know what really matters in this whole story. And um, what, what I find is, as I tell this story, it has this effect on some people. What, what they do is they start to say, I've got children that are prodigals. So they relate to the story and start to feel. And they then go on to say, but, you know, I'm thankful that they have got a good job. I'm thankful that um, they're in a stable relationship. Uh, I'm thankful for this and that, and I understand that. That's, uh, but, but I always feel in my heart that I, I, I want to lovingly say to all of us that actually nothing matters really except they come back to God, does it? Nothing matters. In the end, you put it all together, nothing matters except the, the one you love comes back to God. And what I found, and I know you will find, is that every stab of pain that you feel that lets go in the way that we should gives birth to something. This is the second lesson of the story. It gives birth to a prayer. That's what I found, that my prayer, Caroline and I's prayer, our family's prayer life, um, deepened because of what we were going through. You know, in the story, the father never had any encouragement for his son, but I believe that he watched for his son every day. And he prayed for his son, if, if that was what we could apply even though there was no sign of change. And so we keep watching, we keep waiting, we keep hoping, we keep praying, and somehow something is deepening inside of us. And though it's not very encouraging, the truth of this story is it's got to get a whole lot worse before it gets a lot better. And none of us want to hear that for our kids, do we? As we were praying for Josh and we were reading this story, we read these words. After he had spent everything... There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to a citizen of the country and was sent into the field to feed pigs, longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You're praying for your kids, some of you. And this story tells you that God will work, but he will work in a deep and a real way that sometimes we do not understand. And it's hard when things seem to get worse. But you know that the more the restoration of your kids is delayed, the greater the harvest of joy will be when they return. I want you to hold on to that, really. We're here to build faith in you um, this afternoon. We, we want you to, to believe with a greater faith, to have a faith that God is on your children's case and he can restore them. We, we saw signs, as Josh mentioned, that God was beginning to do something in his life. It was getting worse. Um, I had a distinct impression one day that, that God said to me, you'll either take his funeral or I will restore him greatly. And I thought, I'll take the latter, thank you very much. I'll, I'll take the restoration. But I, it was as real as that. I knew it was heading in that direction. I knew that this lad is going to die and I'll have to take his funeral. And I wasn't looking forward to that. And so, Lord, will you please do something? In fact, we, Caroline and I had a stake in the ground moment. You know, God brings you up to that place where it's so desperate, so painful, that we just cannot take this anymore. Uh, and for us, it was, it, was, um, it was because Josh was gifted playing the piano, as you've heard. He, he had led worship, uh, and he told us in the broken moments we'd had contact with him that, that he'd not played his piano all those years that he was in a distant country. He, he couldn't play his piano. In fact, what he had done, we found out, he had sold his piano. He had a piano like this one, and he had sold it. We now know what he'd sold it for, and he squandered it. 
and um, and when we found out that, Carol and I felt that 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 was a step too far. We would we would not take that from Satan. That was not going to happen, and um, Satan was not going to rob the blessing that this lad could be to his people in wor leading worship. That was not going to happen. And so when we found out he'd sold his piano, um, in praying to God, we felt we should step take a step of faith. And so what we did is we we searched on online on eBay and we looked for exactly the same piano. May have been exactly the one that he sold. I don't know. It didn't matter. But we bought that piano. And we put it under his bed. It was our step of faith. And I think every one of us needs that when we're desperate in prayer for, for our kids. We need a stake in the ground moment where we say enough. This is enough. We will not let these children go. We will not give up on this. And God was working, as you've heard, behind the scenes, producing conviction, humility, repentance. So the story goes on. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So the pain gives birth to a prayer that holds on. And every day the father looks out, and every day the road is empty. But one day, as the father looks out and prays, everything has changed. I never imagined it would be, actually. It was kind of, it's kind of strange, isn't it? You believe in God, but somehow you can't quite find the faith to believe that this could ever change. I couldn't imagine what it would be like if it did. But, you know, the third lesson and final lesson from this story in Luke 15 and Josh's experience we've been through, the best bit of father in the prodigal, if you like, is when they come back home. And the pleasure that welcomes home is amazing, I tell you. The pain is deep. The pleasure is very high, very glorious, very wonderful. And the smallest step that Josh took as in this story in Luke 15, he's met, isn't it, with a leap of grace. Don't you love that? I love the story. I mean, I always love the story, but I love it particularly now because I've, I've experienced the story, and it now means something special to me. And God, in the story, the father, the prodigal takes a small step, and then the father runs, doesn't he, to meet the prodigal. You, you've noticed that. He was still a long way off, and the father saw him. And the father waited for him to come. No, no, the father was filled with compassion, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. A bit too polite, of course, English translation. Actually, covered him in kisses. And you can sense the, the moment. And God is so keen to welcome prodigals home. He's so keen to restore them. They come back smelling of pigs. He throws his arms around them. They come back wanting to make a confession of their sin and, and, and work out something and say, well, I'll, I'll be like a hired servant. And God says, no, I'm not interested. I want you to be a son. And you know the story. It's just a wonderful story, isn't it? But I had to deal with something as soon as Josh came back because the devil started to whisper as soon as he came back. The devil said, you know this won't last, don't you? You know this won't last. And I had to step out, we had to step out and not believe that lie. We chose to not believe that lie and we chose to welcome Josh home as a prodigal. And God does that, doesn't he, for every one of us. He, put, he says, well, bring the best robe. 
And we know what the best robe is. We know that's Jesus and covers all our failure and sin. He says, put a ring on his finger. And we heard about a ring earlier today, didn't we? Put a ring on his finger. He's a son. He has authority. He's restored to the full inheritance that is his. Put sandals on his feet. He's not a slave to fear any longer, is he? He's a child of God. And the best bit for me is bring out the fattened calf and kill it. Which, of course, points to a far greater sacrifice than a fattened calf, doesn't it? That made it possible for this prodigal to come home again. And your prodigal to come home again. And let's have a feast, says the father. Let, let's, let's celebrate. I mean, when we do this in churches, what we need to do in the future, Josh, don't we? We need to have lots of balloons and party poppers and all sorts of things because we need to go wild at the moment of the party. Uh, that's what I imagine it was like, don't you? When the sun came back. Actually, the Greek word is interesting. It's the word is rejoice, rejoicing. We must rejoice. We must have euphoria. And I tell you what, when Josh came back for weeks, perhaps months, I was kind of walking 10 feet up on air, and everybody I met, I believed, could be restored to God. That was, that's what it does for you. It kind of injects into your face something of supernatural expectation and power because you think, yes, he's done it there. That was unlikely, and he can do it there again. He can keep doing it. This son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. So I, I want to encourage you to get ready to party for your prodigal. Get ready to party. There is a PS to the story, um, which we sometimes speak about. The elder brother became angry and refuses to go in. Actually, the whole point of the story is those that can't cope with the party that results from prodigals coming back. So we, we, we don't want... We don't want prodigals to meet older brothers when they come back. We want them to meet father-hearted people, don't we? So that's the, that's the bit of the story. I don't know how, much, how long have I got, Adrian? Plenty of time, probably a little bit. Yeah, and we're going to um, go into some prayer in a moment. Before I did that, I just wanted to share a couple of things. Um, just a, a couple of things about what we should expect God to do for our prodigal. Um, it's much shorter, so that's okay. Um, and I don't know where to take this fully. Um, you see, when Josh came back, um, we had a kind of prophetic word from God that was kind of Caroline and I, and it sort of, it said, this will be the first of many. That was a nice word to receive from God. You know, this, this is a great story. We've, our family has been transformed by this. Um, the impact has been huge, but, but now we, we want to say, do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. So we immediately had a sense in our hearts that this was not just for Josh. This was for many people's prodigals. This story could be rewritten across um, the churches that we meet, and it could be a story that is repeated over and over and over and over again. That's the heart of God, isn't it, to repeat this story um, I, I found in Spurgeon um, a confirmation of that, which is, I, I felt this is what God said, but I felt that Spurgeon had a great sermon on story of God's mighty acts, um, preached on July the 17th, 1859. And this is what he says in the sermon, and it kind of reinforced what I'd thought. He says, what he has done once is a prophecy of what he intends to do again. Whatever God has done is to be looked upon as a precedent. I love that. This is a precedent of God that what he does is restores prodigals. So we're carrying that. We're, we're, we're praying for that, that. This will be 
many prodigals that Josh tells his story and prodigals respond. And we've seen a number as we've gone around um, responding to this. So, so that's what we're believing. Do it again, Lord. And um, we need faith for that, don't we? We need faith to believe that this God still restores prodigals. Um, someone prayed for me just before I went home last night and said, Lord, give him a dream. Um, give him a dream um, that will help him tomorrow. So I, I went to sleep and I had a dream. And so because someone prayed for me and because I believe the dream's relevant, I'm going to share it with you and you can weigh it and do what you want with it. But, but in the dream, uh, it was a long dream and I don't remember all the parts of it as often you don't, do you? But I remember very clearly one part of it. Um, and, w and we were... A number of us, and I don't know who it was, it might have been some of you, or some of the people I know, or some in the church at Honiton, or I don't know, it was people that, that I knew, and, uh, and we, were, we were standing, and, and there was a large wheel-like thing, that's the best I can describe it, a large wheel-like thing which was moving round, and, 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 and we were to get on that wheel, that, that was the sense of a blessing of God somehow, and, and we were to get on the wheel. The only problem was that the wheel didn't quite, it was moving, not too fast, but it was it was kind of not too near the edge, which I got to step off. We got to jump off. So there was kind of a bit of a gap. And it kind of moved in a way that the gap tended to widen at times. So it kind of, when it was close enough, you felt you could just about leap. But when it was moving away, you felt, I'm not sure whether I could take that step because I might not make it. And we were all sort of hovering on the edge. And then in the dream, I remember as I woke up, it, the wheel suddenly moved way, 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 way away. So kind of way off in the distance. So there was no way we could get on it. And I, I felt God saying, you know, some of us have got to take, when the moment is right, we've got to take a step of faith, haven't we? Because God has brought the blessing close to us. And if we don't take the step of faith, then there perhaps will come a season where even if we wanted to take the step of faith, the wheel's a long way off. And we'll have to wait for it to come back in again. Uh, and I felt I just wanted to share that with you because I, I do believe this story is about building faith. Uh, and to me, it, when God does things, and you've heard the story, he can do that again. What about your kids? He can do that for your kids. He can do greater things than that for your kids. He can do that for the, the parent who's a prodigal, can't he? I mean, some people come to us and say, it's not, it's not my children who's a prodigal. It's a parent. Um, and... Um, we also had a kind of a, someone gave us a word about this as well, that, 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 that when the prodigals come back, and I, I like to think about this, you, you imagine churches where all the prodigals are coming home. Because there's lots of them out there, aren't there? Lots of them we're praying for. If all those prodigals came back home, our churches would be filled almost overnight. And we felt God say to us, there is going to be a move of my spirit in this land. There is going to be a restoration. There is going to be blessing. And when the prodigals come, it's like the tide sweeps in and the tide carries the prodigals first. And when they come, then you'll know the revival is about to follow. So we're kind of carrying that as well. That we believe as prodigals come back, it's a sign that God wants to do some great things. And if it helps, we would love to come and share that in your church, really. We'd love to just come and serve you and Josh tell his story and us share. And we can do that on different levels. Sometimes it's helpful for evangelistic type meetings because we can go for the prodigals. Other times it's good to build up the faith of parents. 
in churches to be praying and encouraging. But above everything else, we need to get ready for a party of salvation, I believe, don't we? That's what we need to get ready for. And um, I did have a picture as I came to this conference, and I'll finish with this, and we'll pray together, and we'll pray for you and pray for your prodigal. Um, I did have a picture as I came to this conference, which I didn't know who it was for or what it was for, but I think it's right now because it relates to where we are. Um, and it was this tent, I think. I think it was this tent that I saw. Um, it was a definitely a tent anyway. And, um, and uh, it was a tent, but it didn't have any sides on it. So all these sides had been rolled up. So we were just in this tent, but, but everything was open. And, um, and I felt, as I've prayed into that, as I closed, that there's a number of things about that. One is that God is very open-hearted to the prodigals out there. He works beyond the walls of our restrictions. He, he has a kind of open tent. <laughs> it's not a closed one. It's very open. Um, the second thing I felt was that actually the blessing he wants to give us cannot be contained within a tent anyway. I mean, even if this was all full, there would have to be lots more room for everyone round. So whatever word that you take from that, it's uncontainable, this blessing of a father who restores and blesses. But thirdly and finally, um, a word we've been carrying really every time we do this is to say, there's an awful lot more people here today than are sitting in these seats. Okay? I mean, well, I don't know what about quarter full, but even if we were all full, there would be an awful lot more people represented here today, wouldn't there? Because you're carrying people in your hearts, aren't you, many of you? You're carrying prodigals. You're carrying children. You're carrying brothers and sisters. You're carrying friends. A and really, as Josh comes, Josh is going to come and play a song. And as we do that, what we'd like to invite you to do is take a stand today, okay? Do that stake in the ground moment and say, I I'll take a stand today for this person. I'll, I'll come forward and we'll pray together and we'll take a stand together and we'll believe that God is a faithful God and that he can restore prodigals and he can do stuff today in this tent, which was, has far-reaching. Um, and we had a lady, a lady come to us when we were I in one meeting and she said, I, I want to take a stand for my son who's in Australia. And I thought, isn't that wonderful? That we can, in this meeting, take stands for people who aren't even here, but they're going to be impacted because we were here. Because our faith somehow rose because we heard Josh's story. We thought, yep, that's what we want for my kids. I, I want them to meet God, be restored, be saved, be blessed. And I'm going to take a stand and do that. And we've got a number of folks in the family who are going to pray for you. We'd like the family to bless you. Thank you for being with us today. And we'd like to just bless you before you go. And I think Patrick's got a word. Patrick's a friend of the family. He travels with us um, in Welcome Home, and uh, he'll just share something. Then we'll, we'll sing, and we'll ask you to come forward if you wanted. If you could do that for your kids or for your whoever it is that's a prodigal. And we'll just pray simply for you, and um, then we can go on our way ready to party, okay? So I've been asking the Lord for a word specifically for the people that would come to this seminar, this meeting place with God. And um, I really felt moved 
by the story of the demoniac um, and the there in the Gerasenes. Um, and the bit that moved me in the story is the bit that might actually stick in your craw a bit, where you might think, oh, why did Jesus do that? And it's when the demoniac says to Jesus, I want to come with you, where he begs him to take him with him in his boat. And Jesus says the most remarkable thing to him in Mark 5. He says to him that he's to stay there, and he wouldn't allow him to come on the boat. And he said because he was to share with his friends all the good things that God had done for him. And you just think of that, friends. That poor demoniac who was revived and who was brought back from the brink, as it were, from a place of deep darkness, Jesus said that he had friends. And I think of that demoniac Christ, and I think at that point, he probably didn't have friends. And if he did, they certainly probably didn't feel like friends. So Jesus was creating an attitude in his heart, an attitude to what he was to how he was to approach these people. And I was just thinking of the way that God in my own life has moved me from a place where being saved in a, in a lost family, uh, being the only one so far to be saved, um, God has really changed my heart and my heart's orientation more toward seeing the members of my family not as a problem, but as a, as a blessing and as those to love, friends, family. And, um, and one of the ways in which he's done that is he said to me that I should just tell my dad more that I love him. Because for years and years and years, as a result of my own uh, upbringing and some of the challenges that I, I faced there, um, I just couldn't say those words to anybody in my family. I couldn't tell people that I loved them. And so Jesus has just moved me to a place where I consider my lost family friends and those who are loved, not as uh, problems, as it were. And um, just as we were sat here earlier, I was praying for a word, and um, I went to take my phone out of my pocket, and it fell, and the screen protector on the phone cracked on the edge of the, of the seat. And I felt the Lord saying to me that our hearts have to be broken open for those that we want to see saved, for those that we really want to come into the kingdom of God, our hearts have to be broken open. And this is an opportunity today for us to just take the lid off, like that screen protector on my phone. I can just take, take the lid off it now. It's only the screen protector that's broken. I can take that off. Let's get, to the, let's get to the good stuff underneath. You know, we can take the lid off. So as we come and as we pray, I believe God's just going to take the lid off for some of you. He's just going to take that cover, that, that what we heard that word about God putting a heart of flesh in you rather than a heart of stone. God's just going to take that hard covering off. And there are layers that have to come off all of us. I still have more layers to take off to love the people that God has put in my life to love as friends and family. So God's doing a discipling work through us, isn't he? He's not just doing a, a work for those of our, our family and friends that are lost. He's also doing that work within us. He's discipling us as we learn to love them, just like that demoniac. Just come forward wherever you are. Just come forward here. There'll be people praying.
Shadow, you won't light up. Mountain, you won't climb up. Coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. Lie, you won't tear down. Coming after me. There's no shadow, you won't light up. Mountain, you won't climb up. Coming after me. Yes. There's no
Spirit of the living God, would you flow, flow, flow? Receive your blessing, Lord. We receive your blessing, Lord. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever. I could sing of your love forever I could sing of your love forever I could sing of your 